Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Happy Easter. We are glad that you are here. Not only is it good to see you, but you're looking good this morning. You look good. Most of you, for the most part. No, everybody looks good this morning. Glad that you're here. Hey, if you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us this morning. I heard a story about a woman who was in a psychiatrist's office, and she said, Doctor, you really need to talk to my husband. And the doctor said, well, what seems to be the issue with your husband? She said, well, my husband thinks he's God. The doctor said, mm, that's interesting. Is, is he with you? Yeah, he's out in the waiting room. And the doctor said, I'd love to talk to him. Have him come in. So the man walks into the psychiatrist's office, and the, the doctor says, sir, your wife has told me a little bit about what's going on in your life here, but I'd, I'd love to hear it from you. Would, would you mind telling me what's going on? You'll just start at the beginning. He smiled and said, I'd be glad to. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. And we all know that's how the first book of the Bible starts, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I've told you before, if you can believe the first sentence of the Bible, you can believe everything else the Bible says. If you can believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, you can believe everything else that's written in the Bible. We all know that's how the first book of the Old Testament starts. But this morning, I want you to think about the first book of the New Testament. And not how that book starts, but rather how that book ends. First book of the New Testament is Matthew. What if the book of Matthew ended this way? Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he'd cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Now that verse is in the, towards the end of Matthew, but that's not how the book of Matthew ends. But what if it was? What if that's the end of Matthew? Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he'd cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. What if the story of Jesus ended with his death and not his resurrection? What if the Jesus story was, Jesus was born, he did some teaching, uh, he was crucified on a cross, they put his body in a tomb, they rolled a stone in front of the tomb, and everybody left. The end. Listen, if the story ended right there, we would not be right here, would we? What inspired that little group of believers, what motivated those disciples, what pushed those early believers was the power of the resurrection. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was the descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with great power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. I am convinced that the resurrection of Jesus is the most powerful event in history. We're spending some weeks here at Bay Area going through the book of Acts. And as we work our way through this book, it is going to become abundantly clear 
that the preaching of the resurrection of the, the risen Savior are what those apostles were focused on. So, in Acts chapter 2, we see the very first gospel sermon. We talked about it. Not once, but twice. Peter declared, God raised him from the dead. In fact, he'll quote King David to, to drive his point home. And last week we were in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John heal a lame man. Again, two times, Peter specifically said, God raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 4, we learned that they, the authorities, were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And then in Acts chapter 5, Peter and some of the other apostles are before the Sanhedrin, which is sort of the, the high court for the Jews. And Peter tells them just as clearly as he can possibly tell them, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. As we go through this series in Acts, I want you to pay attention to how many times Luke, the, the writer here, is going to make sure that we understand that those early Christians were laser-focused on the resurrection of Jesus. And when they talked about the resurrection, they weren't just talking about some historical fact. They were talking about a power that led to a new reality. Talking about the fact that God is, has launched an assault on the powers that be. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. What God is doing through the resurrection of Jesus is proclaiming in no uncertain terms that the powers that be are actually the powers that were. Through the resurrection of Jesus, there's ushered in a, a, new, a new kingdom, a new realm, a new dominion. And we're no longer slaves to the fear of death. Again, it's not just the historical event. It not just describes who we are, but it also describes who we're becoming. Really powerful verse, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of His power for us who believe in Him. And then he says, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The same resurrection power that brought Jesus back to life is available to us. We were never intended to live life under our own power, which is a good thing. Because the task that Jesus has given us, we could never accomplish in and of ourselves in our own strength. And that's why the book of Acts begins like it does. Before Jesus ever sends His disciples into the world, He gives them uh, uh, some information, and I hope this verse sounds familiar to you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
In the book of Acts, this power is unleashed on a group of people with a mission, and the mission was to be a witness for Jesus. I've told you that we're going to bounce around a little bit in our journey through Acts. Open up to Acts chapter 5. I know last week we were in three, and we'll probably go backwards and kind of regain some traction, but I want to spend a little bit of time in Acts chapter 5 this morning and see that because of the power of the resurrection, my condition is not hopeless. Because of the resurrection power available to all of us, your condition is not hopeless. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Luke tells us the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Then skip down to verse 16. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. When we live under the power of the risen Christ, our condition is never hopeless. The empty tomb has emptied the power of the status quo. And that's why the church did, and that's why the church continues to believe in the healing power of Jesus. I believe in the healing power of Jesus. I hope you believe in the healing power of Jesus. Now, I realize that not everyone is healed. If you read the New Testament, not everyone was healed. It's not always God's will to heal. Yet, I'm convinced it is always God's will to heal that we ask for healing. Because in asking for healing, we are giving testimony to, we're giving witness to the fact that we believe in the resurrection power. We believe in the healing power of Jesus. Now, if the tomb really is empty, our hope reservoir should be full, right? And when I'm talking about the healing power of Jesus, I'm not talking just about bodily healing. Although there's some people here today that that are in need of bodily healing. There's also some of you here today that you need healing in your spirit because something's broken. Maybe today you need healing in your marriage because you've been giving the world way too much power. Or maybe you need healing in some aspect of your life that's sort of spun out of control and you're not sure you're ever going to be able to get it back. You know, all those areas of brokenness, they exist because of sin. But here's what we've got to remember. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we don't live under the bondage of sin. And we don't live under the cloud of sin. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 6 that when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. You know, as a preacher, I've had people tell me, you know, Tim, my struggle is just too hard. Uh, my situation's too hopeless. My options are too limited. My marriage is too fractured. No, my, my problems are just insurmountable. Here's the question I always lead with. Do you believe the resurrection? Do you believe that it happened? Do you believe that it's real? Do you believe that Jesus was dead, buried in a tomb, And then three days later, God brought him back to life and he's still alive today, sitting at the right hand of God. Because if the answer is yes, then you've got to believe that nothing is hopeless. 
And if the answer is yes, if Jesus rose from the grave, then anything is possible. If the answer is yes, we've got to believe that the world and the power of the world, that that sin and Satan, they don't win. Jesus wins. Because Jesus has already won. Maybe I've shared with you before what uh, I'm sure is my favorite quote from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's spoken by Sam the Hobbit when he sees Gandalf, who he thought was dead, his mentor. And uh, Sam says to Gandalf, we thought you were dead. And then he asks this question. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Because you're alive. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And when it comes to Jesus, the answer is absolutely yes. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, one day, everything sad is going to come untrue. We live in this powerful new reality that we possess this resurrection power. We've talked a lot this year about being a witness. Listen, if the resurrection is true, and it is, then our witness should be fearless, shouldn't it? If Jesus really did come back to life, our witness should be fearless. We're vested with resurrection power. Look at verse 17 of Acts chapter 5. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Let me, for just a second, fill you in a little bit on the Sadducees here. They were the smaller of the ruling group of the Jews. The Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, Pentateuch. Um, They were, for the most part, wealthy. They had power. They had influence. They did not believe in the miraculous. They didn't believe in angels. They certainly didn't believe in the resurrection. Let's read on. And by the way, don't anyone tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Okay, how great is it that God uses an angel to set those men free when the Sadducees didn't believe that angels existed? Now, he could have used any way to set them free. He could have used an earthquake. You see him do that before. You know, he could have used some other person, or he could have done it anyway. God chooses to send an angel who the Sadducees, there's no such thing as angels, to let these men out of prison. And how awkward would it be for someone to say, okay, go bring the prisoners you know, the next day, and they go to a cell that's being guarded by some strict soldiers, and there's no one in the cell. And they have to go back to the Sanhedrin and say, uh, the prisoners... They're not there. What do you mean they're not there? Where'd they go? I don't know. How did they get out? I don't know. They're gone. But notice, when God opens doors, it's not just to get His people out. God also opens doors to to get His message out. If we're paying attention, there'll be open doors for us to be witnesses all the time. 
this angel tells them, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. In other words, go back and do what you were doing that got you arrested. Go do the very same thing that you were doing that you know, ended up getting you thrown in jail. And so, verse 25. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Interesting. It appears that the apostles teaching in the temple courts could have, with a word, started a riot. They could have said something and caused a situation where the people there went against the, the, the governor, governing authorities. Now, I think there's always this temptation for Christians to fight the power of the world with the power of the world. We'll just fight a better fight. We'll use bigger weapons. We'll, you know, we're going to force people to, to believe in Jesus. But that's never Jesus' strategy. That's never Jesus' message. These men are preaching in the street. They get arrested. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. They're thrown in jail. They're miraculously released from jail. They go back out in the street. They're preaching again. They're re-arrested. They're brought back before the Sanhedrin. And interesting, the Sanhedrin doesn't ask, how'd you guys get out? Because that's what I would have asked. My first, my first conversation would have been, how'd you get out of here? But that doesn't seem to be their concern. Here's what they say, verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. The disciples were told, in fact here they're reminded, we told you not to talk about Jesus. Now let me step sideways for just a minute here, figuratively. I completely understand that our walk has to match our talk. And I completely understand that no matter what we say, if we're living like jerks, nobody's going to pay attention to us. But listen, somehow we have got to get past this notion that all I have to do is be a good guy and somehow people will come to know Jesus. Somehow we've got to get past the notion that, you know, I just got to live a good life. I got to be a good neighbor. I got to be an honest student. I got to pay my taxes. And if I just, you know, obey the law, then somehow the people that I know and love, they're, they're going to be saved. God's church has always operated on the, the premise that people who know Jesus are going to tell people who don't know Jesus how they can come to know Jesus. We have to verbally be witnessing, telling people our Jesus story. Interesting, they didn't arrest the disciples because they were healing the sick, which everybody was for. They didn't arrest the disciples for feeding the poor, which is a good thing. They didn't arrest the disciples for helping in their community. Nothing wrong with that. They arrested the disciples because they were talking about Jesus. Specifically, they were talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And it's always going to be the strategy of the powers that be 
to stop people from talking about Jesus. So Peter and the others address the court and they say, hey, we heard you yesterday. We know exactly what you told us. But we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. I mean, who's in charge here, right? The Sanhedrin were convinced they were in charge. Peter says, you know what? You're not in charge. You have no power over us. You have no leverage over us. The disciples' passion for proclaiming the story of Jesus was much greater than their passion for protecting themselves. They would rather be talking about Jesus than worried about protecting themselves. The world has no power over a Christian who's sold out for Jesus. Peter tells the council, we must obey God rather than men. Question, what is the guiding must in your life? You know, we all make decisions. We all make choices. We all choose a path depending on what the must is in our life. Is it popularity? Is it financial security? I must retire by the time I'm 62. Is it comfort? I must have a nicer house. I must have better things. Is it just joy or happiness or you know chasing something that we think is going to be fun, collecting more stuff? What is the guiding must of your life? Because what the apostles are teaching us in Acts 5 is financial security wasn't a must for them. Comfort wasn't a must for them. Safety wasn't a must for them. In fact, what we're going to find out is, you know, their very lives, protecting their life, wasn't even a must for them. What we learn in Acts chapter 5 is, Peter saying, you know what our must is? We've got to obey God. That's our must. We've got to follow Jesus. That's our must. Now, I know a lot might be listening to me right now, and you have agreed with everything I've said this morning. And still, you're living your life with a powerless version of your faith. Because you've allowed the powers that be, the powers of the world, way too much influence on your life. And that's what's controlling your life, not Jesus. And I don't want you to, to believe the resurrection is just some historical academic exercise. I want us all to be able to agree with Paul uh, when he said in, in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of His resurrection. And we need that power because let me tell you something about the person sitting beside you. I don't want to get personal. I don't want to talk about you. So let me talk about the person sitting beside you. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a complete stranger. But let me tell you about what I know about the person sitting beside you. They're going through something right now. This day, this week, this month. They're dealing with something. And I know that's true. Because life is hard. 
But the power of the resurrection of Jesus can overcome anything. Addictions. A dull marriage. Infidelity. Depression. Grief. Sin. The power of the resurrection can overcome anything. We don't have to live our lives with a crummy ending because the tomb is empty. Everything sad will one day come untrue. Because the tomb is empty, my condition is not hopeless. Because the tomb is empty. Let me show you a short video. Trex, would you make sure the, the, the volume is up? That's not the short video. That's not it either. There we go. That's not it either. Now I'm, now I'm completely lost. There you go. Thanks, guys. I might have shared with you before the story of Rick and Beverly Ross. Rick and Beverly Ross have three adult children. Uh, their oldest child, uh, daughter Jenny, 31 years old, mother, wife, Christian, had what she thought was the flu, but she just wasn't getting better. And by the time she finally went to the hospital, her blood had become septic, and there began a horrible 18-day journey that ended in her death. And no parent ever holds a newborn child and thinks that one day they're going to attend that child's funeral. So Rick and Beverly are walking out of the hospital, literally walking into the parking lot, into a new normal that will never be normal, into a life that is forever changed. 
And Beverly turns to her husband and says, tell me again, what is it that we believe? And her husband answered, we believe that the tomb is empty. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a guest of ours, you're kind of checking us out. What do these people believe? Let me tell you what we believe. We believe the tomb is empty. And we believe that that changes everything. And we are prayerful for a fresh releasing of resurrection power. And we're asking for a new and a real experience of the presence of God in our lives. They're overpowering any part of our life that's not in subjection to Him. Let me close, close with what Peter writes in, in his epistle, 1 Peter, 3, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. All of that because the tomb is empty. Again, what is your guiding must this morning? What are you putting your ultimate hope in? What are you building your life on? And what are you staking your eternity to? Our, our guiding must has got to be Jesus. His death, His burial, His resurrection. And no circumstance, no disappointment, no accident, no guilt, no regret, no mistake. Not death itself can shake that hope. Because the resurrection really happened. Jesus came and lived on this earth. The Son of God. My sin had Him put on a cross. They put Him in a tomb and rolled a stone in front of the tomb. But three days later, the stone was moved and Jesus walked out alive. And today, He sits at the right hand of God. The tomb is empty. We must obey God rather than men. Because one day, everything that's sad is going to come untrue. And I want to be a part of that. Listen, we've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you just need the prayers of people who love you. We would love to pray with you or pray for you. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you just need to share with, with this family of believers. There'll be some people at the front of the auditorium and we'd love to meet you there. Let's stand and sing.